You're listening to The Omni Show. Get to know the people and stories behind the Omni Group's award-winning productivity apps for Mac and iOS. Music! You're listening to The Omni Show. Get to know the people and stories behind The Omni Group's award-winning productivity apps for Mac and iOS. Hello, everybody. (laughs) That was Aaron Sheroff, who wrote the theme song and is here today performing it live. Thanks. Thank you, Aaron. And I got it in one take, too, huh? Yeah, what a just, professional. just that one take. That was yeah. amazing. Well, all the practice. Well, anyway, say hello, Aaron. Hello, Aaron. Well done. So the thing people don't know, there's a lot of people don't know about Aaron. But, <laughs> but and we're going to discover it all today in 30 minutes. Going to do his entire life in 30 minutes. Um, people at work here don't realize that his last name is pronounced Sheroff. They think it's Cheroff. Right. And that's totally wrong. But you finally got me to remember yeah, I tried out a brand new mnemonic on Brent. You're the first person to hear my mnemonic, which is, hey, DJ, turn that share off. <laughs> I love that. And it seems to have worked really well because you've never messed it up since I told you that. I'll never mess it up. And yeah. yet everyone else seems to be. Yeah. You only pronounce chair off if uh, you're on the phone with my doctor or something mm. where they really need to spell it, right? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So, of course, every time I see you, I, I have to ask myself, do you believe in life after love? The answer is uh, I'm not really a big fan of share, so decline to comment. <laughs> share off. Yeah, I, I turn the share off most yeah, of the time, yeah. That's, that's fine. And what do you think about autotune? Well, that song, that Life After Love, full of autotune, so much re- autotune. Yeah, she really uh, opened up the world to the knowledge of autotune with that song. Mm-hmm. I think uh, T-Pain also got some action out of autotune, I think, right? Seems like, yeah. Yeah, I think it people like are I have still... seems like I no idea who T-Pain is. Yeah, so, well, uh, man, he... He has put together some club bangers. So if mm. you want to look that up on Apple Music after this podcast. Goes in the show notes. Oh, yeah. I don't think he needs the hits, but sure. Seems like a nice guy. Yeah, we like to spread the love around. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. You, Aaron, are a support human. That's I can right. tell by looking you're a human. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as a support human, I, I'm curious, do you specialize in one of the apps in particular or... Or how, do, how does that work? How do tickets yeah. come your way? And then what happens So everybody on the team specializes in OmniFocus and then has another specialty on top of that. I see. Everyone so, majors in OmniFocus, minors in. Right. Right. Or it's like dual major, I guess. Mm-hmm. I would say okay. a dual major in OmniFocus and OmniGraffle. Okay. But um, when you call into the Omni group, you only get two options. You get to talk to support or you can talk to sales. And if you talk to support, then everybody's phone rings in the support department. And so as a support human, I don't really know what the question is going to be until I pick up. Mm -hmm. So just due to popularity and volume, all of us specialize in OmniFocus. But then we also have some sort of secondary specialties on the side as well. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's OmniGraffle. I've uh, kind of specialized that as long as I've been here. Mm, So five and a half years. So you say all the phones ring. Does literally every phone in every support office ring when there's a phone call come in, or are they somehow um, routed yeah, they, round robin? And so it's whoever picks up first. It is. It's not round robin. It's uh, all of them ring. We have a rotating system for who is actively on phones that day. It's usually oh, okay. four people that are on phones and one person's on social media. Mm-hmm. And so at the beginning of the day, we calculate who should be on phones by some complicated metric that I don't know off the top of my head anymore. So let's say today I'm on phones. The phones are on from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We take a break for lunch. But as soon as someone picks up the phone, presses four, 
uh, or three. It's one of the numbers. I, yeah. I don't really call in too much. I just pick up. Right. But as soon as they press that, there's not like a hold system or anything. Our lines just start ringing. So oh, okay. a lot of the time we kind of catch people off guard by how quickly we are picking up the phone. Like I've picked up the phone and then say, thanks for calling the Omni Group. This is Aaron. Mm-hmm. And some people will be still in the middle of eating a scone right. or drinking coffee yeah. and kind of catch them off guard. And oh. sometimes people ask if I'm a robot. And <laughs> the only response to that is to say with the same exact – pitch and inflection, <laughs> thanks for calling the Omni Group, or say, I didn't quite get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Siri's my sister. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sorry, That's Brent. Right. I didn't quite catch that. <laughs> I can't help you with that. That's brilliant. So people call in. I, every time I call a company, I'm expecting like, well, I have time to make dinner and like take a shower and, you know, just do all the normal things. But no, we pick up right away. Yeah. What the heck? To our knowledge, I don't even know I'm, if we have hold music Yeah, because it just rings and then we pick up. I guess I could put people on hold to transfer them to sales or vice versa. Or mm-hmm. sometimes okay. I'll put people on hold if they call in with a really complicated question. I need to track someone down to find the answer to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we have hold music that I could write for us too. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Very good point. Always looking for uh, opportunities to get that uh, composition gig in. <laughs> music is always needed. You know, it oh, just yeah. doesn't appear out of nowhere. Aaron has to make it. He has to it's think just of it. awkward silences otherwise, right? Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Wow. So how, so when you're not talking on the phone, you are um, using, we have some kind of ticketing system, I suppose. And so so how does that work out? Yeah. Okay. You come in in the morning. Right. So I come in You've in the morning. Work to do, yeah. What is? We always use the same ticketing system. Uh, we've gone through a couple of different uh, approaches over the years. We used to have tickets assigned. Um, Right now, we're using a blackjack-style hit-me system where um, it's one person's responsibility in the morning. Only one member of the team does this, where they go through the queues and triage tickets into stuff that's urgent, stuff that uh, people are requesting a call back, Mm. and make sure they're in the right product queues, that sort of thing. And then by the time that the rest of the support humans get in, usually my day starts with responding to open tickets that have had correspondence with people over the last few days. Oh, okay. Situations where someone's written back overnight or late mm-hmm. in the day yesterday. I'll start off by writing those. And then when I'm done with my open tickets, I will press a button that says hit me blackjack style and it'll Does assign the me the button literally say Yeah, that? the button literally says hit me. I think that was the word someone threw out in a design meeting when we were talking about this system. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. what if it was just said hit me, hit me. and so it says hit me. Mm-hmm. And then it assigns the oldest, highest priority ticket in the queue. Okay. And so I usually only like look at one ticket or so at a time, sometimes a couple if I'm working back and forth with an urgent ticket mm-hmm. where I'm waiting for someone to get back to me. I'll usually take that downtime to take another email. You mentioned priorities. Do we do a lot of prioritization or is that a fairly lightweight thing? It's um, Pretty minimal. Mm -hmm. So whenever you email the Omni Group, we send out an autoresponder that says, thanks, we're going to get back to you as soon as possible. Usually that's 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's our business schedule. If you have an issue that needs urgent triage, please forward this to urgent at omnigroup.com. And that is the, I think that's the only level of prioritization that we currently use. So if somebody forwards that ticket to urgent, then it'll make its way higher up our queue Or what it really does is it makes its way through higher through our triaging system. Mm. So if you have a non-urgent question, you forward it to urgent at omnigroup.com. It doesn't mean you're going to get your response faster than you would if it were uh, an actually urgent thing. Like 
help, I lost something mm-hmm. or I, right. I misplaced a project, I accidentally deleted something. That's the type of thing that we would urgently get back to on. Mm-hmm. When I've worked at smaller companies, one of the things that we uh, very deliberately did was write as much um, kind of self-help stuff so people could go in and, you know, hopefully solve problems on their own before having to, to write to us. Do, do we do anything like that? We do, yeah. We, uh, do. we have a support website at support.omnigroup.com. You can also get at it from the banner at the top of any of our web pages. Click help and then click support. And we have a knowledge base there that is compiled by a lot of different people in the support department. Hmm. There are a few people that write the support articles right now. I guess they're, we generally just call them help articles, but okay. internally we distinguish between how-to content, which is written by the docs folks like Dave Lawning, mm-hmm. and support articles, which are written by members of the support team. Okay. So generally, if we have something that a lot of people are emailing about and maybe doesn't make sense as part of our app documentation, then that's a great candidate for something we would write a how-to or, hmm. or a self-help article about. So they're very much generated by the kinds of questions that you're getting. You, you yeah. know what people need to know. Usually it's in yeah. direct response to something like, how come I can't find X in OmniGraffle? Mm-hmm. So if I get that question enough times, it kind of behooves me to make that information readily available for other people. Sure. So I assume this is all searchable and everything. Anybody could go there, type... Omnigraphle inspector shenanigans and yeah, maybe not shenanigans. I mean, I know we do have some sort of smart matching for the terms that you sure, type in there, right. but that's a special one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would start with Omnigraphle inspector and then go from there. And then go from there. Yeah, Might, but you can filter by um, other than shenanigans. You can All filter right. by help documentation and how to, I believe. Okay. And you can also filter by app too, so you don't necessarily have to type Omnigraphle. You can just type the your mm. search terms and then. Click on OmniGraffle, then type whatever, maybe. Yeah, you betcha. All right. That sounds pretty cool. How long have you been working on support articles? I've been working on support articles for just about the amount of time I've been here. So I started working here in the fall of 2012. Okay. And at that time, OmniFocus project manager Dave used to be in the support department, and Hmm. support articles were his kind of wheelhouse. Oh, okay. And so when he moved out of the support department, I kind of took the torch from that. Mm-hmm. And for a while, I was the only one who was writing support articles, but I've tried to sow the seeds of interest in writing self-help documentation. And now a lot of people are writing that content, and I am thrilled about it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I love not thing. being the, the one bottleneck for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So Dave was in support. Now he's OmniFocus Prime Minister. At that time, was Liz the Prime Minister? I think, yeah. Liz, yeah, was, okay. Liz was the PM of OmniFocus before Dave. So that's mm-hmm. about the... That time sort of lines up. Okay. Yeah, that was the time where I was, where Ainsley was on the support team as well. So mm-hmm. there's a, there's a lot of movement from the support department into other roles at the Omni Group. We kind of self feed, it seems. So when you're uh, writing these documents, do you then work with the prime ministers and also with uh, with Dave Lonning, the um, doc- oh yeah for sure documentation person and so on. Yeah, what what'll usually happen is maybe one of the prime ministers comes up with an idea for content that needs to be written okay. and then they'll file a bug towards the support article project in our uh, bug tracker. Mm-hmm. And then whenever someone on the team is able to start working on that, we'll pick that up and then work on a draft and then send that back to the PMs to make sure everything checks out and eventually it makes its uh, way onto our website. One of the first things I noticed here when I started working here, now almost 4 years ago, is that um Support is present at every product meeting. Yeah, that's true. Which I think is a really cool thing. So you're in the position kind of of being like 
the link between users and then the product decisions. So what do you think about that part of the job? Is that a rewarding thing, a useful thing? Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. I've done tech support for a couple of companies before the Omni Group. And this is the first one where I feel like I've been uh, in a position where I'm able to directly affect change within our company and our products. Mm -hmm. And since I'm someone who talks to customers a lot, sometimes I'm in a pretty good position to know what are the issues that our customers are running into, where are the parts of the app that they're having trouble with. And even if it's not something going wrong with the app, where are common stumbling blocks that people seem to have mm. trouble with? Like, is it getting the app set up for sync the first time? Or is it coming back to the app after a certain period of time? What are certain phrases and what sort of language is confusing for people? And mm. so that's the kind of feedback that I try to provide in the meetings. That's cool. I've seen it happen in a, a number of meetings where you or somebody from support will say, well, that may be um, a great idea, wonderful, beautiful, whatever to describe it. That is just not going to work with our users. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> and then the person says why, and everyone goes, hmm, yeah, you're right. Okay. All right. We'll think of something else. Yeah, I think we had that today where I forget what it was, but there was a, in the design meeting, we talked about uh, some particular change. I said, well, if we don't make this, I know for sure we're going to get emails about it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So the meetings you normally attend, aside from support meetings, uh, you do the OmniGraphle meeting yep, and but- website design meeting. Yeah, I go to the website design, and I also uh, attend the OmniGraphle meeting. Mm-hmm. And I usually am note-taking in the OmniGraphle meeting specifically. Okay. Since I moved from engineering to, to marketing, I'm now part of the design group. And um, it's bigger than some companies I've been in. <laughs> it's like a little software company all, all on its own. You know, the website, marketing website, you know, just all of this stuff inside OmniFocus. Uh, Graffle, Stencil Town, all of these things. Support site. There's an awful lot of output from just this little team. Yeah, we're pretty active. Yeah. I like that you're in the marketing meetings now because I other before that I didn't really get to interact with you too much outside of sitting at your table at lunch. But, yeah, uh, right. Yeah. I feel like I see uh, way more of you yeah, these I was, days. Uh, hold up in the third floor and yeah. <laughs> so aside from doing support, you have not only written music for this show, you have right. done other music things for Omni. Tell That's me about true. That. The first piece of music that I wrote for the Omni Group was back when Omnipresence for Mac, that client, launched. So we had a promotional video about it that explained how it worked and um, how to set it up. And I did voiceover and the music for that. It went over really well, and I think it was successful enough that we decided to hire a uh, video producer full-time. So oh, what Mark, a shame. Yeah, oh, I mean. And, and that would be our intrepid producer, say, yeah. Mark Bosk. Say hello, Mark. Hello, Mark. I'd like to think I had a small role to play in proofing to the company that video production has its place here at the Omni Group. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so since then, I, I don't do quite as much voice work anymore, although mm-hmm. I did appear in a support video explaining how perspectives work in OmniFocus for Mac. Oh, okay. But I did get to write music for a bunch of our app launches from 2013 to 2016 or thereabouts. So mm-hmm. OmniFocus 2 for iPhone and iPad and... Omni Outliner 2 and Omni Graffle 6 for Mac. There was a good period where I was getting to write a lot of music. Then I wrote the 30-second app store previews for our apps. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That must have been iOS 10. When did, I forget when that when they started supporting I think it was nine. videos. Was it 9? Was it 9? Yeah. yeah. Time flies, man. So that was a fun 30-second jingle. Mm-hmm. And my favorite one that I got to write was the OmniFocus 2 for Mac preview. 
Yeah, that had like that had like a nice aspirational, inspirational combo vibe to it, and I was very happy with that. But all of the do, do you remember how to play any of these? Um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of am a, I'm a man of the present and the future. I right, don't tend to dwell on yeah, the past. Why, why look back? Uh, but why, I'm sure I have the section files around somewhere. Yeah, I could yeah, queue them up. Yeah. I'd love to. That'd put be fun. A, yeah, we could put those in the show notes. Maybe. Yeah, yeah that'd be uh, cool. I would love to collect and put out the. Uh, Omni music that I've done in the past, maybe I'll... We need, like, an album, Omni album or yeah. whatever. Yeah. That'd be good. I think so. I think I'm sure we'd charge a reasonable price for it. Oh, I'll have to talk to Grayson about what the... Yeah. Yeah, so when I got to write the music for the podcast, my initial inclination was to write the same sort of genre of music that I'd written for the other app uh, mm-hmm. previews. So I do kind of like a downbeat electronic, but positive vibes sort of um you can accomplish more with your lifestyle sort of music if mm-hmm. you know what i'm right. getting sure, at sure. I hear you. so yeah, i was yeah. i was trying to go for that for the podcast theme and i submitted a couple of demos to you so along with that i did um i was like well i guess i'll give them something to choose from so i'll do this clearly better electronic music thing mm-hmm. but i'll also throw in as a freebie this clarinet <laughs> and electronic <laughs> piano thing and of course, uh, you and Grayson were like, "That's the one." That's what, yeah, yeah. We got to go. It was with a that. no-brainer. It was so easy. Well, yeah. uh, the customer isn't always right, but <laughs> in this case, I think you, uh, I think you made the right call. Like simplicity really is best, and I think it really has grown on with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you pick the other one, I mean, it was way longer for sure. It, we wouldn't still be listening to it now, but um, yeah. it's it was definitely yeah, it was like a, a bit thirty longer. seconds, forty-five seconds, right? Developing a melody, you know, leading up to. Uh, you know, your bridge and sure, not all of sure. it can fit into a podcast. Using thing. all your training and creativity. Instead, we're just like, no, just give me a little. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I went to music school. I want to show it off. Yeah, of course the, you do. Yeah. the theme of this podcast. Yeah. yeah, but we didn't want you to show it off. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so before you got into music, you grew up in Spring Breaktown, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. At least oh, yeah. that's what my notes tell me. Yeah. Were your parents, did they just gone there in spring break and never left? Uh, well, I mean, that is that the happen? dream, but yeah. uh, my folks are originally from that area, oh, and okay. my, my dad w- w- lived there most of his life. Hmm. And so I was born and raised in South Florida and started playing piano when I was six okay. and or started taking classical piano lessons, hmm. and I started writing music when I was 12. All growing up, uh, music was a really big part of my life. Your parents musicians? Nope. Well, my dad plays guitar, so um, okay. well, does the kind of like musician. have a couple of guitars and plink around on them on a on a beanbag chair style of oh, uh, yes, yes. guitar that's, that's appreciation. All I yeah, yeah. I was in my school band, like pep band and mm-hmm. uh, jazz band. Jazz band, I played piano. In pep band, I played mallets. So I played xylophone, mm-hmm. bells, upright chimes. Okay. It wasn't a marching band, so fortunately I didn't have to march with a xylophone. Right, we or a, a piano. That would have been yeah. equally as difficult, if but not epic. more. But epic. Someday, you know. You would have pulled it off, I know. You'd have I figured it out. I feel like I could have, but yeah. I wasn't the most athletic. I did play soccer for a while, but um, mm, okay. not enough to stick with it. I'm not familiar with, what is this, soccer? Oh, sorry, football. Football. Oh. As you call it. I don't know. I like the Seahawks. They're, uh, they're a team, right? Yeah. They're the... Football team? No, they're the soccer team. Uh, nerds discussing sports is one of the <laughs> most terrible things. I love them. It's all sports ball. Mariners are good this year. Are they? So far, yeah. That's baseball. I played t-ball. 
Does that count? Yeah. I played T-ball and baseball. Okay. I was cool. an outfielder. So um, I was an outfielder too. Right field. Because the ball was never hit out where I was. So that's where they put me. Yeah. I uh, I played it from age 8 to 10 maybe. Okay. Not a lot of outfield hits no. by that age range. So got a lot of time to myself to come up with great new melodies mm-hmm. for uh, my music career. I remember my greatest baseball play to this day. It was Little League. And uh, I was on first base. I just kind of stopped paying attention. And there were runners at second and third. And I forgot. I decided to steal second, even though there were other runners on base. Dastardly. Look, I'm a kid. They're kids. Everyone sucks. <laughs> so so if I run as soon as he releases the pitch, there's no way the catcher's going to throw it to the second baseman. He's going to catch it and tag me out. It's just not going to happen. So, um, so that's what I did. I started running. And the other runners are like, I suddenly wake up. There's other runners on now. And they're like, no, don't go. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going. You go. So they start running. And sure enough, you know, the catcher catches the ball, throws it out to second baseman, throws it over his head. So the ball is out into the outfield at this point. The outfielder's suddenly now waking up. Oh, my God, there's a ball. We have to come get it. And meanwhile, the runners are continuing. I get to second base. One runner gets there. The other scores. And the outfielders finally get the ball. And I think they try to heave it back toward the catcher, but they're like the littler kids. And it's going over the head of the pitcher or whatever. And I'm like, run. So we run some more. I advance to third. The other runner scores. That's two runs in, purely on errors. And I think the catcher finally had the ball and was thought the play was kind of over and is tossing it back to the pitcher. And I'm like, he's not even going to get it to the pitcher. So I'm like, I run. I score. Three runs score. Wow. <laughs> Just on pure kid not being able to play ball. Man, what a story. I'm glad we got to talk about baseball in my episode. Yeah. Well, that's probably all the time we have. So thanks for having me on. (laughs) And then afterwards, um, the adults were mad at me. They're like, you can't play baseball that way. I know everyone's going to be awful, but you can't just play. (laughs) But but it worked. We all scored. (laughs) Is that literally ahead of the game? Is that where that phrase originates from? That could be. Yeah. I was was ahead of the game. Wow. Where were we? Oh, yeah. You're going to school. And right. Then what happened? I was a big music person growing up. I also liked writing and I wanted to pursue a career in music, but nobody told me that there were music careers outside of performance. Hmm. So I was like, I love music, but I don't really like to play it live in front of people. So I guess I'll go into journalism. So I moved sure to that Boston. Follows. Yeah. 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 So I moved to Boston and started going to Boston University. Okay. Um, I started off in their print journalism program in their communications department. And this was in the early 2000s, right when the print journalism apocalypse was happening. The internet was taken over and everybody was losing their jobs. I had a field trip to the Boston Globe and mm-hmm. was presented a view of abandoned offices and tumbleweeds Jeez. floating around. And it was kind of like a cautionary tale to get out of this field while you still can because uh. they had no idea what was going to happen with the, the so-called internet. Like, how's it going to make any money? How are yeah, people going right. to write for it? So, so, but you're literally saying your professor's job was to teach you not to do what they would teach you to do. No, I just was good at reading between the lines, okay. I All think. Right. They provided a lot of great information about how to do this career that sort of didn't exist any longer. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of up to me to interpret 
what they were right, saying between these lessons where they and talk the about like, wow, I don't know how you're going to do this in the future, but here's how you would do it if it, right. it existed. So it's really the history of journalism. Yeah. There's yeah. a, <laughs> well, wow. I'm not a big history person, so I got out of that well, that's program. All in the past, yeah. I majored in advertising for a little while because I, I always really like jingles and short themes and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's how I got into writing podcast music. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, wouldn't it be great if I could write stuff for advertisements? Yeah. And so I started the advertising program at BU. And then I realized I was kind of the more of the account management side of advertising and not really the mm. creative side. I guess you're supposed to just kind of focus in that creative field and then get gigs okay. with advertising firms if you want to do that. And that's about the time that I took an electronics music course at Boston University. And my teacher was like, maybe you should look into music production. Hmm. I think you could do this as a career. And I was like, that's a thing I could do. Yeah. Huh, okay. And fortunately for me, I didn't have to change apartments or anything because Berkeley College of Music was just down the block from uh, Boston University. Nice. So I transferred over, went from a liberal arts school to an arts school mm-hmm. and had an enormous leg up on all these people who were singer-songwriters who'd never written a paper in their life. Ah, uh, yeah. I took mm-hmm. an art history course at Berkeley where the final for the semester was a take-home essay you had a week to come up with two paragraphs as to why you think art history is a required class for music students. Really? That was the essay? Yeah. And I had come from a program uh, where I, I had- Two paragraphs? A, two paragraphs. Wow. Take it home. Couldn't even do it in person. Wow. Yeah. And I just come from a program where the last semester I had there, I wrote like a 25-page paper mm-hmm. on who knows what. Being able to vamp for more than two paragraphs, I think, is a pretty important skill to have. Yeah. So I majored in music synthesis- but they've changed the name of that department because whenever I say music synthesis, the answer is always, what is music synthesis? So now it's called electronic production and design, which I think paints oh, a little bit more of a picture of what that program is. But uh-huh. I think that might be the same program that Aaron Benedictson oh, okay. sure. focused on. All yeah. Aaron's go to Berkeley. That's how that saying goes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Did Aaron Kwong go to Berkeley? I don't know, but I do think he has a music background. We should send him to Berkeley. Yeah, or have him on the podcast. Yeah. So note to the listeners, we have three Aaron's at Omni, and this is two of three. Yes. Um, the middle child. But in hiring order, I am three of two. No, I'm three of three. Three of That's two. That's how that math works. <laughs> okay. I'm the young. So it's crazy to have three Aaron's in one place. I have some experience with this, though. Not with Aaron's per se, but when I was a kid, like eight years old, my aunt got remarried. And uh, she suddenly had a stepson. Her stepson had the same name as her son. So there were two Richards. Well, that's crazy. That's a lot of Richards. So I used to just tease them, you know, because I was eight and I was a jerk. I teased them about having the same name. You know, couldn't one of you have come up with something different? No, no, they couldn't. And then, poetically, same thing happened to me, like six years later. My dad gets remarried and suddenly I have a stepbrother. Now there are two Brents. Brent is not a common name. <laughs> no, and what yet, are the odds? Yeah, two Brents. Do you think that's what appealed to that, that union, that no. you both had a child named Brent? No, no. Oh. Yeah. Oh. But of course, um, later, my stepbrother Brent had to have a son and name him Brent. So now there are three Brents, which is way too many Brents by a factor of like infinity than anybody <laughs> needs. Yeah, and in a family of that size, right? Yeah, right, yeah. And to, be, to clarify, crazy. you don't have 100 people in your family, right? No, no, there's okay. like us and a few other people. Just yeah. a family of Brents. I, I actually have a t-shirt where the tagline is, everyone needs a Brent, and it's got a big picture of a Brent, and it's my stepbrother. <laughs> <laughs> 
You should have a shirt that says, you've got a Brent and me. <laughs> Sometimes I do like to say, hi, I'll be your Brent for the evening. <laughs> of course, this makes Thanksgiving convenient, because if I hear my name, I just ignore it and just watch the Safe to game. assume they're not talking about you. Yeah, why would they? Yeah. That's what happens in our chat program, because anytime someone mentions Aaron, I get a notification. Mm-hmm. And I know they're probably messaging the uh, sysadmin who's in charge of stuff when things sure, go down. Right, yeah. So if anybody's panicked and messaging Aaron, 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 I kind of just ignore that. Yeah, it's not you. Yeah. 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 Aside from writing music for Omni, you did sound design. Yeah, that's Omni right. Focus 3 for iOS. So tell me about that. So this is like the actual sounds that happen when you tap a thing or that's swipe right. a thing. Right? Yeah, so um, that, that was a lot of fun. I haven't had many opportunities to do sound design in Omni before, but OmniFocus 3 for iOS is the first time that we have had additional sound effects in it. I think there's only been one alert tone that was in OmniFocus 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And over the years, we had a lot of people ask for a variety of different effects or sure. to be able to customize them to have different sounds for different parts of the app. So yeah, I got to write a bunch of sound effects for all the notification types. So um, Mm. when stuff is due, uh, when you're arriving at a place, when you're leaving a place, and there are some default sounds used for any of those, Uh, but you can mix and match and you can do the sound effecty ones or you could do the more musical ones. I provided a range to pick from. Mm -hmm. I was given a lot of freedom to just kind of cover a lot of bases when I got that assignment. Mm-hmm. So I think I submitted something like 75 sound effects to Dave. And I was like, you pick the ones you like. Mm-hmm. Just pick eight or 10 or whatever. We should put those all on the Omni album. That would be insufferable. Yes, <laughs> it would. <laughs> It'd be an album where there's eight tracks of music that are each right. 30 seconds long and then 80 tracks of <laughs> one second long sound effects. I would just put it on loop. I would just listen all day long. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Yeah. And the great thing about the iTunes store is it's 99 cents per download. So each one of those, I mean, that could be really adding up. Yeah. I think we're on to something. wouldn't spend $80 on that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Is there any way to give like an album discount, like make it 70 bucks? I think what you would do at that point is, so if you buy each individual track, it's 99 cents, or Mm -hmm. you can buy the album for $10. Okay. So... Yeah, it's hard okay. to imagine someone would buy just one sound and not the whole album. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't want to tell people what to do with their Yeah, writing. right. We have to run this all by a, you know, we have That's to have true. meetings about it, figure out all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You're in Boston. We're back to Berkeley. You graduate. The economy promptly collapses. Then you decide to move to Seattle. Huh? Yeah. Why'd that happen? Well, I kind of decided to move to Seattle before I left Boston. I really, really loved and still do love Boston and the Massachusetts area and the Northeast. Mm-hmm. I love the the fall and um, all the weather and stuff and the people. Mm-hmm. I made a lot of great friends there. Um, but when I was graduating, I was at a time in my life where a lot of people that I'd went to school with were all moving on and leaving the Boston area. I still have a lot of friends who remain in Boston, but at that point, I was thinking to myself, if I got a job here, I would live in Boston for the rest of my life. And mm. I wasn't totally ready to make mm. that commitment. So while I didn't have too much tying me down, I figured I would explore some different places to live and sure. be and try some different styles of life. And the allure of the mystic Pacific Northwest kind of called out to me mm. with all the pine trees. And oh, yeah. I hear it was cool in the summer, which is a 
big, yeah, it's pretty big nice plus thing. for me. I'm, yeah. I'm from Florida, but I kind of don't like the heat. Mm-hmm. I say kind of, but I make it known to anybody who interacts with me that I don't like the heat. <laughs> All right. I'm very much like a upper mid seventies at the hottest mm-hmm. kind of person. And then, so you're an indoor cat. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. You don't play that much piano without staying indoor all the time yeah that's true though i have liked it when um seattle's had outdoor pianos from time to time other cities do that yeah i played uh i played that around the south lake union a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. man those things get out of tune yeah yeah they do but uh yeah so i I moved out here kind of without much of a plan i just uh graduated i was looking to get into um indie game development and working on music for commercial stuff Mm -hmm. and so i moved out here just because i liked the area and at the time, I thought, well, I might as well be anywhere where, as an artist, I can derive inspiration. I need to be in places that fuel my inspiration. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've learned that you kind of just come up with inspiration from within. You don't need to be in a specific place in order to make that happen. Mm, but you could have only learned that lesson in Seattle. I know, exactly, right? right? Yep. And I mean, I'm, I'm also saying that from the comfort of my inspiring place, which is Seattle. Who knows? If I move to New Mexico, I might be in it's a gone. creative drought for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's right. That's so. Right. Never it's really probably happened. linked literally to the water. I would say so, yeah. yeah. Any place that is either air-conditioned or cool without air-conditioning mm-hmm. is a place where I can be a creatively fruitful. There you go. So I moved out here, and like a lot of creative people that graduated in the recession, I found work at the Apple store. That's like the new social safety net for millennials, <laughs> Apple retail. I was kind of in that wheelhouse for all throughout school. I used Apple computers. I used Apple computers growing up as well. Mm-hmm. I was creatively inclined, so I was familiar with Apple's software already. Okay. And I had some of their devices. I didn't have an iPhone at the time, but there were a lot of people like me that I met at the Apple store, including mm-hmm. Steve and Ainsley, who mm-hmm. now both work here as well. So... How did you end up at Omni? So you're, you're at Apple Retail. So yeah. you're like Omni adjacent practically at that point. Yeah. So I did then? tech support at Apple Retail. Mm-hmm. And one of my colleagues at the time, Steve Shank, great guy, super close friend. Great dog. Oh, yeah. He's got a great dog too. Is that uh, who's the, the, Mona? Mona. Mm-hmm. That's the one. Oh, glad I got it right in the first try. I know. Yeah. yeah, if you had said Mabel, we would have had to press the eject button. And yeah, I started with an M, and I was I like, know, I figured, I, I was know. hoping so that my brain would catch up as I started forming that word. Yeah, yeah, he it. got it. Yeah. yeah. So Steve Shank started working here, and then he recommended to me a few months later when they had another opening. He said, I think this would be a great opportunity for you. You'd be a great fit for the company culture. And that was about the time that Ainsley also applied. She was in the same round of hires as me. Mm-hmm. We've already heard the story from the Ainsley episode, so... Uh, if you want to hear about how I came to be employed at the Omni Group, listen to episode number whatever. Yeah, with Ainsley. something with Ainsley. Yeah. yeah, I'll link to it. I famously swore in my uh, interview here and still managed to get hired. Wow. I don't remember what it was about. Huh. Yeah. Maybe something to ask on another podcast episode with someone who was on my interview panel. I don't know why I would do that, too, but Dave swears by it. <laughs> When you're not making music, I understand you enjoy a, a tiki drink from time to time. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's my new thing. Yeah? Yeah, it's been a couple of is years. Is that Mark's fault? I think Mark is at least 50% to blame. Uh-huh. Okay. Maybe around 50%. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I grew up near the Mai Kai, which is one of the great tiki bars of the United States. And I always thought it was a tourist trap. Mm. I've driven by it literally thousands of times in my life. And had never paid any attention to it. And then um, my partner, Ian, kind of got me into the tiki thing. And when he was visiting 
South Florida once. He's like, oh, let's uh, go to the Maikai. I was like, it's a tourist trap. We don't really go there. But he kind of convinced me to go anyway. I was like, wow, this is incredible. This is an incredible mm-hmm. bar. Cool. And what an incredible lifestyle too. Oh, the tiki lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure how far in I am on the lifestyle aspect of it yet, but with Mark's help, we kind of have a group of Omni-Tiki-ites. Mm-hmm. So it's like Mark and me and Omni-Focus Prime Minister Dave, mm-hmm. um, front-end web developer Chris, and then Evan from our test department mm. uh, are all participants in this fanaticism. <laughs> and it's been really fun to trade recipes and go do local tiki bars and stuff. And I would say the amateur bartending part of it is the most fun for me, making drinks at home. Oh, okay. So you uh, buy the weird different rums and strange oh, yeah. Strange ingredients. Dozens and dozens of rums. Before I, when I first started getting into like amateur bartending, I started with bourbon Mm -hmm. and I pretty much could only make an old fashioned and that was it. And then after many years of collecting, I finally have enough ingredients to make some of the recipes that tiki drinks call for. And they're all very specific over the types of rums that they call for and mixed sugar syrups and... It's a fun hobby, too, because unlike pouring out a beer, you pour it out and then you're drinking it. And where was the fun in that? Whereas if you're making a tiki drink, you have up to 45 minutes worth of activity before you oh, before right. you could even start to enjoy it. Right. That's why I like when other people make the drinks. Yeah. I learned that very thing when I had people over for tiki drinks sometimes. Mm. There was one time where I did it where as a great host, I said, well, let me make drinks for other people first. And I started taking <laughs> orders. And after an hour of making drinks. <laughs> People were getting onto their second round before uh, I had even finished like, one for myself. Right. And then after that, I was like, I'm just making punch for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like we should do a whole episode on this tiki thing. There's a lot to unpack That here. would be great. We'll do a deep dive. Uh, you yeah. you can have me back on that episode for okay. sure. Yeah. Mark, be you'll in. be on that episode too, of oh, course, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what could you, Mark possibly have to say about tiki? Yeah, yeah. right. I, you know, I th- <laughs> I think we need to we need to know more about tiki, this whole omni tiki business. It's fun. Yeah. It's like discovering a conspiracy inside the company. Yeah. yeah. It's like a fun a aesthetic and of, vibe. Yeah. Yeah, the whole like retro kitsch kind mm-hmm. of thing. Which maps to no actual time or place. It's just a made up coming together of things. Oh yeah. Well being from Florida, I've been to Disney World a few times, so I'm well familiar with the idea of creating a fantastical pastiche of different cultures into a wonderful wonderland. So Tiki is kind of like right in my wheelhouse already. Hey Aaron, where can people find you on the web? Well, you can find my music at shareoff.com. Mm-hmm. Spelled like my last name. That's the benefit to uh, coming up with your family name on Ellis Island, however many years ago. is It's not nice. very popular, and you can get the domain name. You can also <laughs> find my music on shareoff.bandcamp.com. Mm-hmm. There's a follow button there if you want to be up to date with the new stuff that I got coming out, working on some great new albums. Coming soon. Yeah. And my music's also available on... Apple Music and Spotify, Google Play. My last album, Anagnorisis, is out now. And I'm also on Twitter at Shareoff. So anywhere you want to reach me, I'm You're kind all of available. Over the web. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of get my That's stuff out awesome. there. Yeah. Well, thank you, Aaron. Oh, yeah, this has been fun. I'd also like to thank our intrepid producer, Mark Bosco. Say hello, Mark. Hello, Mark. And especially, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you. Music. This was the Omni Show. You're welcome.